if you were here last week, Pastor Joey uh, Wang from Mercy Hill Church came and spoke on 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, and I heard he did an amazing job. Really, really thankful for that. And we're going to be going into a series on 1 Corinthians. And we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9 today. So I am going to be, for the next uh, quite a few weeks actually, preaching through the entire letter of Paul to the Corinthian church. I think one of the best ways to understand the scriptures better is to look at it holistically in terms of the entire book of the Bible, whether that's Genesis or something as short as Philemon. In the case of 1 Corinthians, 16 chapters, we're going to be taking a journey through this entire book, and hopefully as we do that, we will get a much better sense of what's happening here um, as we, we go through this series. Let me just give you a little bit of background here to situate us in terms of what's happening here in this letter to the Corinthian church. Paul, the apostle, founded the Corinthian church in Acts chapter 18. So before we get into this, let me just read this to you, verses 1 through 18, to give you the background of how this church started, where it came from, um, because I think it'll be helpful for us understanding the rest of what's happening in this letter. It says this, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to, him, to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justice, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people." And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Remember that, a year and six months. That's a significant amount of time. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria 
and with him Priscilla and Aquila. This is the background for the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, um, it's, it's really, really interesting. Paul went into this city, uh, was preaching the gospel to the Jews. He went into the synagogue to reason with them. They rejected him, as often happened. And then he went to the Gentiles, and he began to preach the gospel to them. And many of these Gentiles turned to the Lord. And Paul spent, very importantly, it says, at least a year and a half in this place. That was a significant amount of time. That was a long time. Paul, in his missionary journeys, went to many different places around the Mediterranean and Asia Minor. Um, some places he didn't stay very long at all, maybe for a few days, maybe a few weeks. But here in Corinth, he stayed a year and a half. Not only did he stay here a year and a half, but he was the one who founded this church. He was the apostle who went here, preached the gospel, evangelized the people, and, and a church was born. He was their spiritual father. And I can imagine the love and the care that he had for the Corinthian church. So he spent a year and a half there nurturing them, teaching them the word of God, raising them up as his own children in the family of God. These were dearly beloved people of his. He spent an incredible amount of time with them. That's the background for this letter to the Corinthians. But all is not rosy in Corinth, because this is not actually the first letter that Paul has written to the Corinthians. Um, there's been an exchange between them, and actually, things are quite tense in Paul's relationship with the Corinthians. We will see this as we go through the rest of the book together, but there was a lot of difficulty. There was awkwardness, there was tension, there was um, some hard words spoken by Paul and probably from the Corinthians to Paul as well. Their relationship was not easy. In fact, there were a lot of things going on in Corinth that were very difficult for Paul to hear about and um, probably very difficult for him as the spiritual founder and father of this place. Here I have uh, this diagram. This is a screen grab from the Bible Project video on 1 Corinthians. If you've never heard of the Bible Project, they make these great short five to 10 minute uh, synopses on different books of the Bible, every book of the Bible actually. And it's a great way to get a big picture overview of what the book is about. And I highly encourage you to, to do that. Go to YouTube, check out Bible Project 1 Corinthians, watch through that this week and you'll get a, a good overview of what's happening there. But um, I know you can't see it while here, but this, this letter is filled with problems that Paul addresses. Chapter one through four, he talks about divisions that were happening in the church, in particular, divisions of the Corinthians against Paul, against their founder, rejecting him and his authority over that church. In chapters five through seven, Paul has to deal with sexual immorality, including famously uh, an account of a man who was sleeping with his father's wife, uh, really crazy stuff that was going on there that Paul had to address. In verses 8 through 10, talking about food and food sacrifice to idols and how they were not being loving and how they were eating and treating the brothers and sisters that were around them and being affected by how they were eating. Verses 11 through 14, talking about things that were happening when they got together, particularly in terms of spiritual gifts being used in an improper way. Spiritual gifts like tongues or prophecy that were being used in a way that were not helpful to others, that were not building other people up, 
but we're just building up the person who was speaking in tongues or prophesying, um, done in a way that was not loving. Chapter 15, talking about people denying the resurrection was going to take place. There were all sorts of problems in this church. There were all sorts of things that were breaking Paul's heart as the spiritual father of the Corinthian church. It was a difficult situation, awkward, tense conversations at times. This is the background of this letter that we have. 1 Corinthians, not the first letter Paul ever wrote, but the first letter that we have. That's the background of what's happening here as Paul writes to them. So as we, we think about that, this is really, really instructive. Even though it was 2,000 years ago that this letter was written, this is so relevant for us today, isn't it? Because in church, there will be many difficult relationships. Amen? Some of you are like, amen. Yes. Like, I, I, you know, some of you are like, that's the loudest amen you would probably give. Like, amen, there are difficult relationships in church. Paul is no stranger to that. Within the church, there are many difficult relationships, difficult things that we encounter with other brothers and sisters. So what do we do about that? If you expect the church to be a place where everything is rosy and we sit around, we just hold hands, we sing kumbaya all day long and there are no problems, we love each other. It's just like, like a bunch of care bears. As it was leaving my mouth, I was like, you guys don't know what care bears are. Some, maybe a couple of us Gen Xers do. We think that's what church is supposed to be. And if that's what we think, very quickly, we are disappointed because church is filled with difficult relationships, difficult conversations, people rubbing each other the wrong way, at times hurting each other. And if you've been in the church for a while, I'm sure a lot of you have experienced things like that in your own life. And what do we do? Sometimes we end up in a situation where we say, well, if that's the case, what do we do? I come to church because I feel like I'm supposed to be at church. I feel like God wants me to be in the church, and that's true. That's what the Bible says. But because of these difficult relationships with people, I'm just going to resign myself to staying on the surface with people. I don't want to have difficult conversations with people. I don't want to open myself up to others. I don't want others to open up their messiness to me because this is difficult. In fact, if there are difficult people that I encounter, I'm just going to avoid them and just stick around with people that are easier to talk to. Is that what we end up resigning ourselves to? I'll come to church, but I'll be pretty hopeless and resigned about what relationships can be like within the church. I'll just come and sing a few songs and listen to a message, but I don't really want to go deep with people here. Is that your conclusion? Maybe another conclusion is simply people who've decided to leave the church altogether. They said, man, this is too hard. What's the difference between this and the world if relationships are going to be difficult in here as well? And people say, I'm going to leave the church. I'm just going to be a solo Christian. I'm going to do this on my own, which doesn't work. And it's not God's design. As soon as a sheep leaves the flock, he or she is easy pickings for the wolf of Satan. Some people, unfortunately, have left the faith altogether because of disillusionment or discouragement that they've experienced within the church. So what Paul experiences with the Corinthians is very relevant to us because I don't know about you, but there is no such thing as a perfect church. If there were, as soon as you joined it, it would not be perfect anymore. As soon as I join it, it would not be perfect anymore. 
There's no such thing. There will be difficulty, difficult relationships, difficult conversations. So what does Paul do in a church like Corinth that, you know, if I were him, I'd be like, man, you ingrates. You don't recognize your spiritual father after all that I did and I invested in you. This is how you treat me. Forget you. Other places, they recognize who I am. I'm just going to get up and go to another place, another city. Forget you guys. Is that what Paul did? Let's find out what he did with the Corinthian church in this letter to them. He says this, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. Now, this is very interesting. It may not seem that interesting. It's like Paul's just introducing himself like he does in all his letters. Why is that so interesting, Ulysses? Because Paul is being quite elaborate in his introduction of himself. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. It's quite an elaborate introduction that you don't find in most of his other letters. In fact, a lot of times he's very, very short, very simple. In his letter to the Thessalonian church, he said, Paul, Sylvanus and Timothy, that's it, Paul. That's who I am. I'm Paul. That was it. Much shorter. Hardly anything there. Second letter to Thessalonians. Surprise, surprise. Paul, Sylvanus and Timothy. Again, short and sweet, nothing there. Paul, that's my name. Don't wear it out. That's it. That's how he introduces himself. To the Philippians, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. That's it. Very simple. Not much more added there. In Philemon, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. He adds that in. But it's still very, very short. Relatively speaking, compared to 1 Corinthians here, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes. I, I cannot help but feel like Paul is being very intentional in the way that he's introducing himself. What is he doing? What is he saying? He's saying, Paul, I was called by God to be an apostle. In other words, you should recognize my apostleship in the Lord. I mean, not only did I go and evangelize you, I started the church there, I was your spiritual father, and now you're going and saying, Apollos is our father, uh, uh, Peter is our father, this Paul, he's unimpressive, we don't like him, he doesn't have authority. Paul is saying, I was called by God to be your apostle. I, I, I think it's a subtle or not so subtle emphasis of what they should be recognizing about who he is. I think it's loaded with meaning. And I think in verse 2, the way he addresses the Corinthian church is loaded with meaning as well. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. This is probably the most elaborate address to a church in Paul's letters. This is extremely long and extremely elaborate. What is he saying? 
He's saying to you, Corinthians, O church of God, you are the church of God. And if you are the church of God, that means you've been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, sanctification is the process of becoming holy. So when Paul says that they were sanctified, past tense, it doesn't mean they're perfect. But what he's talking about here most likely is the fact that when they became Christians, there was a break that happened in their lives from the kingdom of darkness. There was a break that happened through the power of Jesus Christ so that they were no longer slaves. Give me a booming voice. Praise the Lord. Okay. Um, he was saying to them that you've been sanctified. In other words, what are you doing, Corinthians, in the way that you're living with these divisions, with the sexual immorality, with the ways that you're using your spiritual gifts? You are supposed to be a sanctified people. You're supposed to make a break with who you were in the past. You're not supposed to be living the way that you are living now. What's more, you are called to be saints. That's who you're called to be. Not these people living in, in, in lust, in licentiousness, and living in selfish, uncaring ways for your brothers and sisters around you. Paul loads up this address. I can't help but feel like Paul, in this opening address, it's like an opening salvo. He's like, he's like preparing things here. He's setting the table to blast the Corinthians. Oh, you get ready, Corinthians. You know who I'm supposed to be, your apostle. You know who you're supposed to be, holy and righteous, not living the way that you're supposed to be. So now I am going to let you have it. I can't help but feel like Paul is just, just loading the guns up to blast them right now, to let them know all the ways that they've screwed up, they've made mistakes, and how dare you, Corinthians? How dare you treat me that way? Now repent and get your act straight. So what does Paul say? How does he launch into them? Well, in verse 3, this is what he says. He launches into them by saying, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The amazing thing is Paul does not launch into this tirade against the Corinthians. He doesn't start screaming and yelling he doesn't start rebuking and correcting. The first thing he does after he addresses them, after he introduces himself again and addresses them, is he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would Paul say that to a church that was such a mess? Well, the reason is, the reason must be because for Paul, grace and peace is where everything must begin. That's where everything must begin. In his relationship 
with the Corinthian church, no matter what is going on around them, no matter what is going on within the church, Paul starts at the place of grace and peace. Because the cross of Jesus Christ is where every relationship must start and must be founded upon. That's how Paul begins. Paul starts this way because he knows that apart from the grace of God, he himself would be far worse than the Corinthians. That was only because of the grace of God, because of faith in Jesus Christ and what he did upon the cross in forgiving us of our sins, that is the only reason that Paul was able to be there and to talk to the Corinthians and to be able to be in this relationship with them. He goes back to the cross, to the very foundation of grace. That's where he starts in his relationship with them. And that's where we need to start in our relationship with each other. You see, Paul, in his life, he started here in his relationship with people because he was so aware of how the grace of God saved him. It was so clear to him. He said later on in 1 Corinthians, talking about himself, he said, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying, man, you think the Corinthians are bad people? Renewal church, you think the Corinthians are bad? Man, if it weren't for the grace of God, I'd still be murdering Christians today. I killed Christians. I, I thought that they were a sect, a cult, leading people astray from the law of Moses. So I would go and I would, I would grab them and have them sent to jail, have them tortured. I was there when Stephen was stoned and I gave approval to that. I said, do it. I was a murderer. I killed Christians. That's who I was. If it wasn't for the grace of God, that's who I would still be this day. Paul understood that about himself. He wrote to Timothy, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Honestly, brothers and sisters, I don't think Paul is using hyperbole when he says of whom I am the foremost. When he says I'm the chief of sinners, I'm the worst of them all. I don't think he was just being like, oh, I'm the worst. No, you're not, Paul. Okay, I'm not. I don't think that's what Paul was saying. I think he really, really believed that in his heart because of how he persecuted the church of God. And because of this, he saw how clearly he was a sinner saved by the mercy and grace of God. He received peace with God, not of his own doing, but because of what Jesus did for him. That was his starting point. And because he recognized that, he was able to come to a difficult an obstinate 
people who were giving him grief when they shouldn't have, he was able to come to them with grace and peace. Brothers and sisters, in difficult relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ, within the church, with Christians in your family, with other believers, our starting point always has to be the grace of God. If it weren't for the grace of God, I would be dead in my sin today. But because God loved me and gave his son to die on the cross for my sins, I am in Christ. That needs to be the starting point of every relationship that we have with each other. Because if we don't have that, if we don't remember from where we have come, we will think that we are better than each other and we will blast each other and we will complain against each other and we will be angry at each other and we know where that's going to go. Avoiding one another or maybe leaving the church, Paul begins on the foundation of the grace of God in his relationship with the Corinthians. Grace and peace to you the same grace and peace that I have received, that I am not worthy of. Grace and peace to you. Look at what this foundation does. Look at how it lets Paul approach the Corinthians. Now remember, he could have been so rightfully angry at them, but look at how he approaches them in this opening of this book. He says in verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Friends, don't overlook that. Paul is saying, when I think about you, Corinthian church, I always give thanks. I am so thankful for you that you are in Christ, that the grace of God is within you. How often, brothers and sisters, can you say that? Can we say that about people who annoy us? Difficult people in our lives, people in the church who are difficult, who we have tension with, who are strained relationships. Are you thankful in the way that Paul is thankful for them? Are you always giving thanks to God for them? What was Paul giving thanks for? Again, it's rooted in the fact that he himself had received the grace of God. Paul, because he started on that foundation, he was able to give thanks to God that there were other people who also were in Christ as well. He was just so thankful that they were believers, <laughs> that they were Christians. Forget about the fact that they were a headache to him. He was able to say, man, I am just so thankful that you're saved. Oh my gosh, that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. I didn't deserve it to be saved. You didn't deserve it to be saved. We got a lot of problems between us. We got stuff that we need to work out. But I'm just so thankful that you're family. You're my brother and you're my sister. I'm so thankful for you. He was able to genuinely say that. Brothers and sisters, can we, you know, our church, so imperfect, warts and all, but can we look at each other and say, man, I am so thankful that in a place like the Bay Area, I have you? The most de-churched place in America? One of the most difficult places to be a Christian in America? 
where there's so much antagonism and hostility towards Christianity, I am so thankful to be in a room with a hundred something people who, who, who claim to be Christians, who are my brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're here together. I'm so thankful that I'm not alone and that God has saved you as well. I'm so thankful for you. Despite our differences, I'm not alone. That you're my family in Christ. Gosh, I'm so grateful for you. Could you be thankful that even though your spouse, man, I, I wish my spouse were different in so many ways. I wish, I wish he, he was more sensitive to me. I wish, I wish she, she cared about me in a better way. But God, I'm so thankful that my spouse knows you. Despite our problems and, and all the issues that we're having, I'm so thankful that, that, that my wife, Christine, knows Jesus and that no matter what obstacles and difficulties and fights that we have, that she loves Jesus, I love Jesus, and because of that, God is going to be in our marriage and there's hope there for us. I'm so thankful that even though my, my parents drove me crazy in some ways, I'm thankful to be able to have grown up in a Christian home. Or maybe if you're a kid and you're saying, man, my, you know, or you're a parent, you're saying, my kids are so rebellious and going through teenage years, but I'm so thankful that God has saved my child and there's evidence of Christianity in my child's life. I'm so thankful for that. God, I'm so thankful that the Spirit of God is within you and is within me. Paul was genuinely thankful to the point where he said, I always thank my God because of the grace that is within you. He goes on, he says, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul here, not only is he thankful that these Corinthians are believers, but he is even thankful for the spiritual gifts that is at work within them. When, when he says here that, he, that they were enriched in all speech and all knowledge, what he's probably talking about are the spiritual gifts of like tongues, prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge that you'll read about in, in chapter 12, 13, and 14. Now keep in mind, these were gifts that the Corinthians were using in a poor way. They were using these gifts in an unloving way to their brothers and sisters in Christ. But Paul here is saying, I am thankful that God has given you his grace in these spiritual gifts. Now think about that for a moment. Paul's thankful for something that they were abusing and using in the wrong way. Some theologians have said, this can't be possible. Paul must be being ironic. That's what he's doing. He's being sarcastic here. How can he actually thank God for these spiritual gifts when they're using them in the wrong way? He's got to be saying something like that, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge because you're screwing it up there big time, Corinthians. Some people say that Paul's got to be sarcastic. That's what he's doing. He's being sarcastic here. But I don't think so. I think Paul is genuinely able to thank God for the spiritual gifts within the Corinthians because he sees 
that those gifts are evidence of the grace of God within them. You see, for, for Paul, because he saw that he was a sinner saved by grace, he was so thankful for other Christians, even if they were difficult people. I'm so thankful that you're a Christian. And, and you know, even though you're using your gifts, your talents, your skills in the wrong way, I'm still thankful for the grace of God that's within you, that he is working in you in those ways because that's, that's God's grace that's there. Paul was able to separate out the evidence of God's spirit from the person. He was still giving thanks for what God was doing there. He saw the genuineness of the grace of God within them. Now, brothers and sisters, this is so powerful. You know why? Because one thing that this lets us do is it lets us encourage each other, like Paul is encouraging the Corinthians, even when the other person is difficult, even when the other person has all these flaws and weaknesses and things that drive you crazy. And the Corinthians drove Paul crazy, but he still came in to encourage them, to encourage them. You were enriched into all speech and knowledge. You're gifted. Man, the grace of God is at work in you. That's the Holy Spirit at work in you, even though those gifts were being abused. He was able to encourage what was good within them. Brothers and sisters, that's so powerful. Because it gives us the ability, when we see the grace of God in this way, to encourage each other, even warts and all. You know, this is, I think some of us really need to hear this. Myself, I really need to hear this because, you know, maybe you grew up in an environment or in a culture where encouragement was kind of scarce. You don't encourage people like the Corinthians. Look at all their problems. You deal with the problems first, and then you encourage later. If you encourage now, oh, they just may, may let it get to their heads, and I don't want to do that. I, I grew up kind of in a culture like that, where there wasn't as much encouragement in that way. If I came home and said, my mom, dad, my blood type is B, they'd say, why not A, right? That type of thing, that type of environment, where you always see the glass as not nine-tenths full even, but one-tenth empty. And, and, and some of us may kind of react that way or act that way. And we, we look at somebody and, and the difficulties in them, and, and we say, ah, oh, forget it. We throw the baby out with the bathwater. Paul doesn't do that. Despite the difficulties, despite their immaturity, he comes and he says, God's grace is at work in you through the ways that God has gifted you. He comes and he encourages them. Brothers and sisters, the grace of God, when we understand who we were, it empowers us to be able to encourage others to see the grace that is within them as well and give thanks to God for that. Let me ask you a question. Who were the most positive influences in your life in terms of your faith and your relationship with God? I bet you it was people who were most encouraging to you, who encouraged you. And trust me, there were probably a lot of issues that you had at that time when he or she encouraged you. A lot of things that you did not have together, but they still did it. And it was a catalyst in your life to push you towards Jesus Christ. 
because of the grace of God that Paul saw at work within him, he was able to encourage the Corinthians as well, despite the circumstances. Verses 8 and 9, Paul says, Who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Thirdly and lastly here, Paul, because of the grace of God, was also able to say to them, I know that God is working in you, and I know that he will continue to work in you. And one day, you will stand before the throne of God guiltless, guiltless, God, his sanctifying work is at work in you and he's going to continue to work in you and he's going to bring you to completion like it says in Philippians on that day before Christ Jesus, spotless and blameless before God. Brothers and sisters, Paul not only saw the Corinthians in light of the, the grace of God that worked within him and that worked within them, but he also was able to see the future grace of God at work in the Corinthians. He knew that God was the one who was going to continue to work in them. That it was God. It was not up to Paul. It was not even up to the Corinthians themselves. Ultimately, it was the grace of God that God was going to complete the work that he started in them. So he looked at the Corinthians with eyes of hope. Hope. He knew that, you know, things look so bad right now. Things look so messy right now, but it's not up to me to change you. It's not even up to you to change you, but it's the grace of God that is going to change you. That's where I put my hope. That's where I put my trust. And because of that, I have great confidence. I have great confidence, Corinthians, that God is going to do something amazing in you. You haven't seen anything yet. I haven't seen anything in yet. God is not done with you. God is going to do such great and marvelous things. Paul was able to look to the future. That's what helped him to keep going with the Corinthians as well. Brothers and sisters, when we look at each other in this church, we can't just look at the problems. We can't just look at the difficulties, although that's real, right? That's a part of real life. We also need to look through the lens of God to be able to see the future that God is going to change this person. And this person maybe have, have had difficulties now, has character flaws now, just as I do, but God is going to change us. And that is our hope. God is at work in this church. And that is why we never give up on the family of God. The Holy Spirit is at work here and he is going to do something beautiful in the person sitting to your left and to your right in front of you and behind you because God is working in their lives. You know, when, it's like when Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, you are the rock and upon this rock, I will build my church. What an encouragement. What an upbuilding statement. He said this to somebody who just a little while later would deny him three times in Jesus' moment of greatest need when he was being tortured and hung upon the cross. Jesus, Peter denied Jesus three times and abandoned him and ran away out of fear. But when Jesus said, you're the rock, I believe he saw who Peter would become. He would become somebody who lived out that gospel confession that he declared and become a leader within this church.
Brothers and sisters, that's how we need to see each other. And that's how we can see each other through the grace of God. Now, does this mean then, brothers and sisters, as I'm going to wrap up and conclude here, does this mean then we just close our eyes to the problems within the church, to that person, the way he talks, my gosh, so arrogant, so self-centered. Man, the way that she's so selfish and uncaring, I can't stand that. Do we close our eyes to that and just say, I'm so glad God saved you, and I know he's going to do something with you in the future. We're just going to close our eyes to everything right now and pretend we don't see anything. Is that what we do? No, it isn't. The rest of Paul's letter, Paul tackles these issues head on. He has these difficult conversations with the Corinthians. He writes to them really hard things to hear. He goes into it. He goes into the weeds with them. He calls them to righteous living. He says, you can't live like this anymore. But, but. All of this is done, this conversation is had upon this foundation that is laid of the grace of God. I am a sinner saved by the grace of God alone. You are a sinner saved by the grace of God alone. And I am so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for the way God has worked in you. And I know God has a great future for you. And upon this foundation, let's talk. Let's talk. We can approach each other in a different way with hope when we have difficult conversation, when I speak the truth and love to you, I have hope that you're going to be able to hear it because the Spirit of God is at work in you. When you speak those conversations to me, there's hope for you that I'm going to hear it because the Spirit of God is at work in me. We have hope that we are going to become a holy community where our, our words to each other are upbuilding and encouraging because the grace of God is at work here. We have hope that we're going to be able to be patient with each other. We're going to be able to be a place where we know how to encourage each other with our words and build each other up and change one another's lives because of the way that we encourage one another. Brothers and sisters, when we build everything on this foundation of the grace of God, we don't have to avoid one another. We don't have to turn the other way. We don't have to just pretend like everything's okay. We don't have to say, I don't want to deal with difficult people. I'm just going to stay on the surface with these people here and just have fun, talk about movies, restaurants, and we'll just keep it at that. No, we can go deeper into each other's lives and become the church of God that God has called us to be. When we don't have the grace of God, as the foundation, inevitably, we look at each other in the way that the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son looked at the younger brother. He couldn't celebrate the grace of God in the life of the younger brother. He couldn't celebrate it because he said, I worked for everything that I have. Father, I slaved for you. How could you accept this deadbeat? I cannot celebrate this. I cannot celebrate him. I cannot celebrate the fact that he's come home. I cannot celebrate the grace of God at work in his life. Why? Because he looked at it all through the eyes of what he deserved. I earned this. He didn't see the grace of God that gave him everything that he had. Brothers and sisters, through the grace of God, 
we will be able to celebrate each other, warts and all, and in a way that builds up, encourages, blesses, and changes our lives. Amen? Amen.